Welcome to the CFA UK IND podcast, the podcast which breaks down inclusion and diversity barriers in the investment industry. This week, we're talking about socioeconomic inclusion with Dr. Brandeis Marshall, a scientist using data analytics to make social impact. Brandeis, great to have you here. Thanks for having me so much, Joy. You're welcome. So, like the finance industry, we know that diversity in the data sciences are equally poor. Can you tell us how you got interested in computing and data? And why is inclusivity so important for all industries? This is definitely a loaded one. It all started when my father brought home a Gateway 2000. He bought it because he wanted to put together a machine. Once he did that, I was fascinated by the icons on the machine and how the icons got there and actually building and creating the systems that made sure that computer was actually working. Fast forward to entering college, I looked at a number of different majors, psychology, dance, but ultimately it was my love of math. So I entered computer science because I really wanted to understand how things were built and to be part of that type of conversation, to build, to create, to innovate, to implement. So that's what I've been doing since. I've enjoyed teaching, I've enjoyed training, I've enjoyed contributing to the computing field ever since I entered into undergraduate. Interestingly enough, each time I was in class, I realized that I was either the only one as a woman, as a person of color, as a Black person. And so for me, what's so important, when technologies are built, the voices of those that are using the technologies need to be represented as well. And what I looked around the classroom, when I looked at my professors, when I looked at industries, I wasn't necessarily represented. And so I work hard in order to try to shine a light on it from the inside out, as well as try to contribute to the field as much as I can in order to bring to pass more people um, of different backgrounds to contribute to technologies. Not that technology can fix all ills of the systems, digital and analog, but that hopefully that some technologies can at least move the needle a little bit toward making things more inclusive, more diverse, um, and more equitable. Let's talk about the data and technology. One thing we know is that socioeconomic demographics is hard to capture and difficult to classify. So given some of the limitations, how can we effectively use the data and the technology to shine a light? Parity between privileged and marginalized groups? And what are some of the metrics and methodologies that can make real impact? A lot of people within the tech realm want to make technology be the only source. Um, but I, for instance, really believe that there needs to be a concentration not only on the qualitative realm, but also the quantitative. So we care about the numbers, right? That is where the quantitative individuals, the analytical minds come in. But the creatives have this qualitative notion, and this is actually very, very powerful because there is a holistic and, and a and Gnostic type of viewpoint that we have to see these numbers. These numbers are not flat, um, they're not two-dimensional. They actually talking about people and how people engage with systems. So that is why one of the things that I'm working on right now happens to be the pair principles about uh, December of 2018, I just put out a tweet that talked about 
what type of considerations you have to think about inside of a data science project for any organization. And PEAR stands for participation, access, inclusion, and representation. And the whole point of having this PEAR principle is really to dive down deep and ask some serious questions of who is participating and who is the intent for the participation to be. How is access actually obtained for the constituencies that you're concerned about? And of course, the inclusion. Are you being inclusive? Are you hearing all the voices and are you making adjustments based upon the voices that you're hearing? And then of course, representation. What models are you using? What individuals, what technologies are you using in order to ensure that there is more equitable representation inside of your systems as well as inside of who's actually building your, uh, your software solutions? Okay, interesting. So is that a new paper coming out or is that methodology published soon? Or? So actually there's one publication already. So I've been working with a colleague, uh, Tama, and she and I have been working on it for the past few months. Um, she's at Berry College in the economics arena. So it's quite interesting because she has this science policy background. So she brings that to the table. And then what I bring to the table is, of course, the computing and, and data work background. Um, so I think it's a wonderful blend of how we can now look at a hybrid component that's looking at that quantitative as well as the qualitative. Um, so what we're focused in on from her understanding and her background is looking at public value failures. This happens to be pretty much a staple um, within uh, her expertise and public value failures. That methodology is very much seminal work. And so we're looking specifically as public public value failures number four and public value failure number five. Really concentrating on benefit hoarding um, as well as who is who are the providers, right? How are providers not equitable? It's a very interesting model. Let's bring down to like hardcore examples, you know, like how do you apply this to the investment industry? You know, what are some actual questions or steps that you, you know, you can suggest for us in the investment industry? Okay, so let me get to um, very key questions um, that hopefully can help the investment industry. So let's start with access. I think this is something that's very key within investment because in order to invest inside of any financial system, you have to have money to invest and you have to be able in order to know how to track how that money may be um, used, right? Do you do a mutual fund? Do you just put it in a bank? Do you put it in a savings account? Do you maybe look at investing it into property? This whole construct, just about access, could very much penalize those that do not have the money in order to actually invest and therefore might not actually have the knowledge in order to be able to make good decisions. Mm -hmm. So very poignantly for those that are underrepresented or marginalized, even underestimated inside of the financial industry, a lot of organizations could really think about building out programs. So I've seen programs at different banks where children get accounts that will allow them in order to put money into a bank, 
actually see how that money gains interest and actually do some training about how money works, how you can grow your money. What is a dividend? What does that look like? And that is something that could really help change the needle. And those programs can be in all banks all over the world, no matter the demographics of who is um, interfacing with that bank. Now that banks are online, it might be uh, a different type of training that could be video type in order to ensure that individuals actually have a better idea of how money works within banks and then what you could do with that money once you receive that interest or that dividend. You know, without representation in our industry of the people we're serving, mm -hmm. we would not be designing the right products for all people. Exactly, exactly. And I, there's, a, there's um, a lot of trends to show how making sure that children know a little bit more about how money works can be very helpful moving forward, right? Mm -hmm. How do they deal with their loans when it comes to going to college? How do they deal with um, buying their books and being able to, to be fiscally responsible? responsible post-college, right? Because mm -hmm. for some, college is a way in order to change their social economic status. They might go from a lower income type of beginning, but after college with that degree and with the access to internships and um, different arenas, they're able to move into a completely different social economic class. But how do they then balance that newfound set of money? Do they squander it? Do they invest it? And how do they invest it? How do they know where to go to invest it? Do they know what a Roth IRA is? Do they know how um, they might want to squirrel away some money for retirement? These are all types of um, questions that for those with access and a background in understanding how finances work, they could just go to their parent or go to their um, teacher or go to their colleague. But for those that do not necessarily have that access and understanding, they don't even know what questions to ask. Mm -hmm. So being able to equip everybody with the same level of questions and probative um, type of content is very, very important. And that's why for me, the pair principles is so important because it always starts with education. If people don't understand what the questions are and what the problem is, there's no way in order to really make a sustainable impact. Okay, so you also talked in the pair principle about more of the qualitative side of uh, the process. You know, what yes. are those considerations we should be thinking about when you know, trying to measure uh, the data or looking, analyze the data? Yeah, so when it comes to the qualitative, I think it's in two forms. The first form is really looking at the employee in an organization, because I know with evaluations, we've all been evaluated at our jobs, it's very much metrics-based. It's very quantitative. You know, how many projects have you worked on? What has been your engagement thus far? But I think there's qualitative measures as well. Are you someone that's leading the project? Um, are you someone that has an opportunity in order to contribute to the project? These are more qualitative notions. What are you actually feeling about how your engagement went, how your leadership may have been 
successful or there's areas of improvement, um, these are more qualitative. And that is one way in order for organizations to really look at the employee much more holistically because the future of work does include data, but it also, that data does include how you're going to be engaging with your employee. So that's one level. I think the second level that a lot of organizations could consider is of course the technology themselves. As you're looking at the data, you have to ask better questions, right? What evidence do you have that your output is accurate? That is a very important question <laughs> that most decision makers cannot really answer. There might be a graph or a figure in front of you, but how do you know that what you're seeing is accurate? What is the validation, the verification metrics being used? How rigorous are the testing that's happening? How confident are you? So that goes back to statistics. That goes back to what is computationally being done, what algorithms are being used, and how effective they're being used. So these are just a couple of highlights of how organizations can think about not only their workforce, but also product that their workforce produces in thinking through how to be a bit more equitable. So usually in our industry, we measure initiatives in 12-month cycles. Mm -hmm. um, so your new organization, you've just put in a diversity program. What should we reasonably expect as success over a 12-month period? You know, I think because I think one of the things we want to keep in mind is, you know, what's achievable, measurable, but also what's motive motivational you know some people can look in 12 months and say well nothing's happened so you know it's working oh you're so right about that i think a lot of organizations are in a 12 month cycle um, so key to look at is metric side is definitely retention. How many people have you hired? How many people are still there? Those are very key. I think most organizations do that. But there's this third measure that's a little bit more qualitative, which is how happy are they at the organization, right? Is there pathways for their further development, right? Are they put on projects? Are they on teams that they feel though that they can thrive? Mm -hmm. And that's a bit more nuanced. That's where you're going to need to have a conversation to look at what projects they worked on throughout that 12 month period. What was their contribution? How did they engage with their team? And that takes a little bit more time and not metric based, but more of the let's sit down and have a conversation where do you see yourself in 12 months and for an employee they might be looking at their career tra trajectory in five-year increments but most organizations look only year by year mm -hmm. and so possibly expanding that trajectory in the conversations where do you see yourself in five years where do you see yourself in three years that can really help an organization move itself forward if you put out a particular product you um, give it a certain shelf life before you decide if you're going to move forward the same thing mm -hmm. should happen for employees as well because the employees are going to be driving your business <laughs> so if the employees um, are gaining skills but their skills are therefore um, transitioning on to another organization your organization is not benefiting from those right um, so it's important in order to highlight where employees have done well 
and what products and what parts of maybe not as successful products where there is actually a, a boost, right? What skills could a particular person um, gain by working on a product, whether it's successful or unsuccessful? It is 2020. We're beginning a new decade. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you can give us your thoughts, like in the next 10 years, what can we, you know, what do we want to see out of inclusivity and diversity in the workplace? I think we want to see a representation um, of those at the table. Mm -hmm. That means in uh, grassroots doing the implementation, the designers, the developers, as well as those in leadership, those that are decision makers. Um, I think a number of organizations have shifted their mind in order to really think about how to be inclusive when it comes to their boards and, and their leadership teams. But we I would like to see that grow even further. So there's not just one person of color or a person of color and a woman, right? There's not this just one or two. I think there needs to be an ushering in of full representation, full participation, um, where voices are actually heard and acted upon. I think we're in the hearing phase in 2020. We need to get more to the action phase of let's start making cultural shifts and changing the paradigm. Thank you, Brandeis, for your thoughts on this today on building up inclusion and breaking down diversity barriers.